It, it is good to be with you guys. It's been, a, it's been a long while. The last time I was here up front was April 2nd, and uh, it was Palm Sunday, so it's been, been a couple of seasons since I've been here, so it's really, really good to be back with you. I know many of you, but some of you I know are new faces, and just thanks for being here. It's great to be here with you guys. I have this shirt, and I'll, I'll explain it for, for you in a second. Uh, sort of my retirement shirt, but I'm still growing into it. Um, Keith, just on this porch to patio thing, um, Keith came over to the house maybe a month and a half ago. I met him at the porch. We went back to my patio or my deck, and he asked me, hey, would you want to be, would you want to share one of the messages in the porch to patio um, series, and I said, yeah, and, and Keith began to explain what he was going to do, and, you know, the porch was sort of when we have sort of surfacy relationships, we all kind of know what those are, but, you know, on the patio, we, we go deeper, and we talk about, you know, the struggles and challenges and the blessings of life, but where's God in all of that, and, uh, um, and then he said, you know, I'm going to talk about the what, the where, and the when, and the how, and I said, well, maybe, maybe I could do the how, because I know one of my, some of my spiritual gifts, holding a grudge and hospitality, and, uh, and, and not really in that order, but Keith did not know I had a t-shirt that said, I like fishing and maybe three people, and, and, and my wife thinks that number is inflated at times, because we, we had to put our dog down a couple of years back, and it really might be down to two people now, but... Uh, so I, you know, I exaggerated a little bit. Um, um, so I might not have been the best person to talk about hospitality and how do we welcome people, but I'm going to swing really hard, okay? Um, but th- here's the question I want us to fuss with today. How, how well do we really welcome people into our homes? How well do we wel- welcome folks into our lives, into our hearts, and even into this place, into our church? How, how well do we do it? Um, let, let me pray us in, and then we'll jump into the message. Um, Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for the folks that are here today, the folks that are online with us, and Lord, it is a blessing to be um, sharing the message today, and Lord, I just pray I get out of the way, Lord, Lord, use the words, use the stories that I'll share, speak to us, Lord, help us to be present to your presence in the present, Lord, help us to be available to you, Lord, I pray that... Um, some of the stories I'll share, Lord, I pray that they snag on people, Lord, and not because of my stories, any great thing, but Lord, speak to us in and through the stories, and teach us, transform us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. I met Allie at the doctor's office about a week and a half ago. I was going for my annual physical, and Allie was the medical tech that was doing the pulse and the temperature and the blood pressure. And as she was doing the blood pressure, she squeezed in that inflator bulb for the cuff. And I see on her inside of her wrist, she has a tattoo. And it's Roman numerals. And I say, Allie, what's what's your tattoo of? And she says, March 5th, 2022. And I knew there was a story behind that. Um, And Allie says, March 5th, 2022, it's my sober date. And I said, wow. Wow, wow. And I said, good for you. Good for you, Allie. Um, way to go. One, one day at a time, right? And her eyes meet, and we smile, and then I give her knuckles. Um, I would have given her a hug, but I just met her, so it wasn't probably the right, wasn't the right thing to do. Um, but we all have stories, don't we? All of us in this room, we have stories, whether you're four or 94, 93. Um, we all have stories, and some of those stories are short and um, 
intense, but some of them are long and elaborate, but we all have stories. Um, you know, the person we meet at the doctor's office or the person who checks us out of Walgreens, we all have stories if we're willing to, to ask about the stories. Um, back, when, um, back when I was doing Starting Point and our new members classes and Next Step stuff, so I, would always, I would always ask our folks who were coming, who were starting to say, I want to commit to this place, what, what brought you here? What brought you here? And they would always, you know, there would always be the joke, well, a RAV4 Toyota brought me here. And, um, but that, that, you know, that wasn't the point. But what, what, when I would ask that question, what brought you here, it would boil down to two questions that they would ask. Um, is it safe? Is it safe? Or the people that look like me? Um, is it safe or the people that look like me? Um, and I, I, struggle with some of those questions, and I'll, I'll dig into that a little deeper, and I've I got to look at my notes or I'm going to um, I'm gonna get all out of whack here. Um, we all have stories. We all have stories. But to share stories, it doesn't happen on the front porch. It happens in the back patio, in the back patios of our lives, and I just challenge us to look at that. Um, Labor Day weekend, uh, if you guys were here, we did one service at 9 o'clock. You 11 o'clock people, it might have come late, um, but we did one service on Labor Day weekend, and usually I sit in the back row, but the 11, the 11 o'clock people took my row, and I had to come up, I had to come, come up a couple of rows, um, and we were sitting next to Jim and Janice, and I, I got to talk to them a little bit after church, and I asked them, you know, I hadn't met them, I didn't think I had met them before, and I asked them, how long have you guys been coming, and they said, a couple of months, and then I asked them, how do you like the, the new pastor, and I sort of said it like that, so, um, but they said, no, he's great, and, and I agree, Keith is great. Then I asked them, what, what brought you guys here? What brought you guys here? And they said, um, grief share. We started coming to grief share. We lost an adult son not too long ago when we started coming to grief share. And then we started coming to church here. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. Someone on staff, Todd, Todd Repugh, you guys may know Todd, he gave me a shirt a while back that said, be kind be kind on the front and on the back. It said, everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And I believe it's so true. Either we're in the midst of a battle or we're coming out of one or we're about ready to step into one. Everyone we meet is fighting a battle we know nothing about. Um, this Chick-fil-A video I used to show um, um, to all of our, kind of our new members classes um, it was a video, a training video that Chick-fil-A would use for their employees because they wanted to remind people the importance of people's stories, that everyone who comes into our store has a story. And there was no speaking words to it. It was just people coming into the store, people behind the counter, people in line, people seating, uh, seated, and then they would show a bubble above their head about what their story was. A woman sitting by herself um, her husband passed away a month ago. Today would have been her 60th wedding anniversary. A, man, a young man coming through the door, his parents are divorced. He blames himself for the divorce. man behind the counter, his son was just deployed to a war zone, and he worries every minute about them. How would we treat folks differently if we knew their story? Whether it's somebody at Walgreens or somebody at the, at the doctor's office. March 5th, 2022, it's my sober date. Um, everybody's got a story. Everyone's got a story. How do we really welcome folks into our, 
into our home, into our lives, into our church, into our hearts? How do we really welcome them? If you're taking notes, I, I throw this out as just point number one. Everyone has a story. Ask folks about their story. Be curious and listen. Everyone has a story. Ask folks about their story. Be curious and listen. Be curious. T tell me more about that. Think of good questions. Think of tough questions. Be a good listener. There's lots of classes, lots of, lots of books um, on how to speak better, how to write better. Not a whole bunch of stuff out there about how to listen better. Challenge us to listen better. Point number one, everyone has a story. Ask folks about their story. Be curious and listen. And then point number two, be kind. This is the t-shirt that Todd gave me. Be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Um, everybody has a story. Just last thought on, on story. Um, Pastor Keith kicked off this series, Ports to Patio, with, with this text, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves they devoted themselves. This is the early church, right? Right after Pentecost, there's just a couple hundred folks involved, but they devoted themselves to these things, to the apostles' teaching, to, to the breaking of bread, or to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. And I just want to focus on that apostles' teaching part. Um, this is audience participation. I'm going to ask you a question, and you say um, something back to me, okay? Um, do you, do you, the apostles' teaching, do you know what that is? Th thank, <laughs> thank you, old planted one. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> but, but the apostles' teaching, I mean, it was about stories. It was about God's stories. It was their interaction with Jesus. It was how Jesus interacted with them, how Jesus challenged them, how Jesus um, reminded them that there's more than just this stuff. Um, it was all about the stories. Um, Just moving to the next point, I want to take a lesson from, from Peter. Um, you guys know the story of Peter. He was one of the first four um, apostles recruited. He was a knucklehead fisherman. He probably had a t-shirt that looked like this. Um, but I, I love Peter because he was feisty and enthusiastic, and he often would engage his, his mouth before his brain and got him into all kinds of trouble. But, but he wrote this. He wrote this after he had been following Jesus for a while. He wrote this near the end of his life. Um, and I love this text, 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all else, above all else, love one another deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Above all else, if we're going to really welcome folks into our lives, into our hearts, into our homes, into our church, this is what St. Peter is saying. Above all else, love one another deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Um, years ago, my grandma, I remember my grandma saying to someone about a dress that they were wearing, she said, that dress covers over a multitude of sins. And I'm not sure if it was the same context as St. Saint, Saint Peter. Um, um, but th the next part of that verse is important too. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, if your natural tendency is to wear t-shirts that say, I like fishing and maybe three people, um, take off that t-shirt, put on the one that says, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Um, and that leads me to point number three. It's just echoing what St. Peter said, above all else, above all else, love one another deeply. And that leads me to what I really want to talk about this morning, about what that love looks like um, from St. Paul. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, a lot of you guys know the text. But St. Paul, before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was a knucklehead. He was a knucklehead like, like, like me, like us. Um, 
And then he was changed by that day. And that's the story that Pastor Keith talked about last Sunday. This is from St. Paul's letter to the folks in Corinth. Here's what St. Paul is saying. Here's what love looks like. Here's what God's love looks like. Here's what unconditional love looks like. Here's what agape love looks like. From 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. It's a pretty high bar that St. Paul has is, is given to us. And I read through that list and go down that list, and I swing and miss on a bunch of those. Just to put some, uh, some skin on that, that love is text. Um, some of you guys know, uh, who were around a while, remember Harriet Lawrence. Um, she was just this special, special lady that loved everybody. I mean, she just embodied what, what love looked like. She used to be cut out the coupon, coupons out there and send them to military. And she was here a lot. Um, she used to come Tuesday Tuesdays uh, to quilting. And before she would go down to quilting, she would stop in my office. And I, if I'm honest, I sometimes dreaded when Harriet would come because I knew it was going to be a half hour, 45 minutes with Harriet. But Harriet loved on me and loved on me so well. Um, Harriet passed away in 2020 during COVID. It was just a horrible time for a lot of us, but especially if you lost a loved one. And when we did uh, Harriet's celebration of life service here, we, we were limited to how many people could come because it was right in the middle of all that, that messy stuff. Um, but I remember uh, Harriet's granddaughter, Cheyenne, came up and shared right from here, this is, this is who Grandma was to me. She said, Grandma is patient. Grandma is kind. She doesn't envy. She doesn't boast. She's not proud went through the text. Grandma always protected. She always trusted. She always hoped. She always persevered. Grandma never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, and that's my grandma. And that, for folks who knew Harriet, that was our friend Harriet. Harriet Lawrence embodied the words, she was loved with skin on. The core of love, Thomas Aquinas said, is to will the good for the other person and then to desire to be close to them, to desire union with them, to believe there is something about them that is worth wanting to be around. And I borrow this story from John Ortberg and from a book called Character, Strength, and Virtues by Chris Peterson and Martin Seligman. And here's what they write. Greg Manning could see from the terrace of his apartment that the jet had struck near the offices of Cantor Fitzgerald, where his wife worked as a senior vice president and partner. And for the next hour, half hour, he paced frantically, stopping only to pound the wall and cry out her name. He was certain that his vibrant and beautiful Lauren was dead, but he was wrong. That morning, she had lingered, saying goodbye to their 10-month-old son, Tyler, and as a result, arrived at the World Trade Center a few minutes later than usual. She had just entered the lobby of Tower One when a fireball descending through an elevator shaft propelled her back into the street, totally engulfed in the flames. And a bond salesman who witnessed this raced over, put out the fire that was consuming her, and remained at her side until the ambulance arrived. 
At the hospital, her face swollen beyond recognition, she told Greg the pain was so excruciating she had been praying to die, but then out of love for him and Tyler, made the decision to fight for her life. And within a few minutes, she slipped into a drug-induced coma that would last many weeks. Her parents came immediately from their home in Georgia to alternate bedside and babysitting duties with Greg. And during his hospital shifts, Greg ignored Lauren's unconscious state reading poetry to her and playing her favorite music, all the while reassuring her that she was loved, that he would take care of her, that everything would be okay. Just a sidebar of that, I've watched some of you folks care for your loved ones the same way. During his home shift, he, he took Tyler to birthday parties and play dates, read and sang to him and documented his development on videotape for Lauren's future viewing. Remarkably, he also found time to every day send email updates on her condition to friends and family. Saving Lauren meant replacing more than 80% of her skin, often multiple times. Some of the grafts used synthetic or donor skin and from the outset were considered temporary, whereas others that were hoped to be permanent simply did not take. To compound the horror, part of her left ear was destroyed. Several fingers of her left hand required partial amputation. Although Greg would sob in the arms of friends, he never wavered in his devotion to Lauren or his confidence she would pull through. And exactly three months after admission to the hospital, Lauren saw her new scarred face for the first time. And the predictable shock and sadness were tempered by the fact that her husband had prepared her through repeated reminders that she had always been and always would be his soulmate and in his eyes was as beautiful as ever. Six months after that terrifying morning, Greg Manning took his wife home. Those closest to the case agree that Lauren survived through a combination of grit and love. And now these two remain, grit and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I've seen you guys, I've seen you guys love on your family and friends with Alzheimer's and dementia, Parkinson's, horrific accidents. I've watched you love your family with agape love, God's love, unconditional love. The kind of love that God showed us through his son Jesus from the cross when he said, I love you this much, yet while we were sinners. Just from 10,000 feet up, just quick review. This is how we welcome folks well into our homes, into our, into our lives, into our hearts, and into our churches. Again, everybody has a story. Be curious and listen. Be kind to everyone who's fighting a battle you know nothing about. Above all else, love one another deeply, even when it's hard. And that type of love is not a Hallmark card love. Real love is gritty and tough and courageous. And if you're taking notes, that's point number four. Love is not a Hallmark card love. Real love is gritty and tough and courageous. And I would add, staying steady. And now these two remain, grit and love, but the greatest of these is love. So that's our 10,000 feet foot up view from how do, how do we welcome people well into our lives and into our hearts. But I want to get into the weeds a little bit. Specifically, how, do we, how well do we welcome folks here into this church? Again, the, I would ask people um, who would come to our church who kind of settled in, we're wanting this church to be their home. How did you get here? How did you get here? And the two questions would always boil down to, is, is, um, is this place safe? 
And are there people that look like me? And if they had kids and family, is it safe for my kids? If I, if I let them go with Miss Debbie and Miss Carrie downstairs to children's church, is it, is it safe? Are they going to be okay? Are people going to take care of them and watch them and love them? Are they going to teach them gospel stories? Are they going to teach them crazy stuff? Is it safe for my family? But also, is it safe for me? If I come, if I come in and if I'm real and vulnerable and, and transparent, are people going to... Um, what are they, how are they going to treat me? Are people here real? Are they willing to share their stuff? Or do people put masks on and pretend like they've got their act together? Is this place safe? If I share some of my struggles with folks, can I trust them with my, with my confidences? Again, two questions, if you're taking notes, two questions asked by guests. Is it safe? And are there people here that look like me? Are there people here that look like me? And some of that can be age, some of that can be skin color, but I think it goes way deeper than that. Are there folks here that are real? Are there folks here as messed up as me? Are they a knucklehead just like me? Are, are there broken people here? And are folks willing to talk about their brokenness and how they may have tons of questions that they don't have any real answers for about God and life and stuff? Two questions. Is it safe? Is this place safe? And are the people that look like me? These are questions that come up here at church, but they also come up in our relationships. We all know that we can keep it on the porch. We can keep it real shallow. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. How about you? How about those Broncos? I did forget to pray for the Broncos, but know that this whole message is, under, the undertone of my message is that we're going to pray for the Broncos to win out, to win the next 16 games praying for Paul, poor Washington to, when they go home tonight, when they fly home, that, you know, that they'll be comforted somehow, that it was a, yeah. Um, but we all know we can keep it on the shallow side, talk about weather and stuff, or we can go deeper. And to go deeper, you have to be vulnerable. Um, if we want to bring folks into this place, in from the patios to our porches, we have to be willing to be honest and real and vulnerable and raw. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, um, translated the message once it wrote, the strongest sign of authenticity in what you and I are doing is the inadequacy we feel most of the time. Anybody here feel inadequate some of the time? I mean, as a, as a, as a parent, as a, as, a, as a son, as a daughter, as a spouse, as a pastor, me too. We're willing to be that honest that we don't have it together. One more, how did you get here story? I shared this first service. Uh, Chuck Diaz, some of you guys know Chuck. He's been coming to our church maybe three or four years now. And, and I asked Chuck, Chuck, what brought you here? He said, Joe, I, I'm, I'm Catholic. I, I, uh, the, Catholic, the Catholic church, the parking lot's too crowded. Your parking lot had spaces open. <laughs> and I've become, Chuck's become a, Chuck's become a dear friend, um, and he regrets telling me that. And I, I told him I wouldn't use his first and last name, the second service, but it is Chuck DS, uh, just to, if you're taking notes. But, but uh, uh, Chuck became a dear friend. Um, I helped walk, and, and some of you guys walked with me. His, his uh, first wife, Martha, died of brain cancer, and I, uh, we did a, a, a celebration of life service for a son who died in a tragic um, accident on the Colorado River. And... Uh, and then a few years later, I got to marry him on Christmas Eve, this past Christmas, in the chapel between services. Um, 
So we, we've become dear friends. But all of us, you know, I, I asked you guys, the, all of us, um, what brought you here? What are the reasons that brought you here? Um, confession. Some of you guys know this story. Um, Pastor Keith's here, you know, we've been coming here about 15 years, and when I first came here, I was not a pastor, I was a, I was a back row pew potato, uh, and back row people just wave, and, and nothing against you back rows, this is my back row, this is, Jesus loved these people better back here, um, but, but uh, we would come in, and, and I was, uh, I had been a pastor um, for a whole bunch of years, and I stepped away for a little while, and we would come in, we'd sneak in the back door, we'd park on the side, sneak in that chapel door, and we'd sit in the back row. And then when church was immediately dismissed, we, we'd wait till the end, but then we would, you know, hightail it out. Um, um, do you know what we were looking for? And you guys were supposed to say, what? Oh, very good. <laughs> Thank you, Stuart, leading the crowd. Um, but I, we were looking for, was, is it a safe place? Is it a safe place? And are there people here that look like me? Um, our daughter was about 10 years old at the time, and she had grown up all of her life. She was a pastor's kid, and she was now kind of not a pastor's kid. But one Sunday after church, she said, um, is this our church? Is this our church? And we said, yeah this, is, yeah, this is our church. And she said, well, how come we don't know anybody? And, and it hit home because we, we, we didn't. And we knew then that it was time to make this place ours. Um, Quick sidebar, if you're a back row people, and you don't have to sit in the back row to be back row people, um, you know who you are. You come in, usually you come in a little late. You don't want to interact with anyone, really. If folks say hi to you, you'll say hi back, but you just want to go to church and then quietly leave. You know, as much as Pastor Keith wants to kick us into small groups, you don't want anything, any part of that. Just, just know back row people, I know who you are. I, I have been there, I'm extending lots of grace. If it's not time yet for you to, to jump in, to connect to a, a church community, I, I know, and I wanna give you lots of grace. But I do know in my heart of hearts that I, I believe we're hardwired to connect to other people, and not just from the porch, but from the patio. And I really believe in, in the message that, that Keith has been sharing to us. Relationships happen um, when we get together. And not, not like this. Church happens when we do church in rows, but good church happens when we're in circles and we're talking to each other and we're sharing from our hearts. But know this, I know Jesus loved back row people, so don't, don't be offended by any of that. Um, a couple more stories. Um, I first served a church in a place called Damascus, Maryland, um, near Rockville. Um, and a uh, church was beautiful church, beautiful building, but it was built before ADA, before um, uh, American Dis Dis Disabilities Act. And this woman came to our church one day during the week. She was, she was um, confined to a wheelchair, but she was totally independent. She had a, a van that was rigged so that she could drive it. Um, she, she had a, a door that opened and that she would roll down, totally independent. She was trying to get into our church. But there was a six-inch curb all around our church, she could not get into our church without, with, because of that six-inch curb. And I want to ask us just as honestly as we can, what are, what are some of the six-inch curbs that prevent folks, guests, from coming into this place? What, what, what are they? Um, 
Last Sunday night, we had a, a kickoff dinner for small groups. It was, it was just an amazing event. It was in the fellowship hall. We had over 100 people there, and uh, Pastor Keith shared that we had 60 new people that had never been part of a small group come, come and be, uh, want to be part of small groups. It was just, just an um, amazing night. But I, I met Tristan and Dustin. I met Tristan in line. Tristan's a young mom. She's got three little ones. Um, Dustin's her husband. I, I asked Tristan, you know, um, you know, how long she had been here and, you know, just some, some small talk stuff. Um, but she said to me in line, she said, we're breaking in. We're breaking into this church. And she used that words. And she said, we're, we're bringing our kids to the, the kids program on Wednesday nights. And then she said, you know what, we're going to be part of um, Lori and Sean Reed's small group on Wednesday nights. We're breaking in. And for folks who have been around church for a while, and I've been around church all my life, to really become part of a place, you have to break in. There has to be some, uh, you know, there's a breaking in period. What are the six-inch curves that prevent folks from coming in? What makes it hard for folks to become part of a church community? And maybe this is the better question. Are we a welcoming church? And this is your last note, if you're taking notes. Are we a welcoming church? And are we as welcoming as we think we are? Are we, and, and number two, are we willing to look in the mirror to really look at ourselves? Andy Stanley, who's a big church guru, mega church guy, knows a lot about churches. He says the worship experience starts in the parking lot. It starts out there. How well we welcome folks, how, how we, our signage, all of that stuff. The church experience, the worship experience starts in the parking lot. And then Tom Rainer, who's, I mean, this is his mission in life, is to study and teach us how we can welcome people better in our churches. Um, he wrote a book called Becoming a Welcoming Church, and this comes right from that. He says this, here's the reality. What takes place in the first 10 minutes when a first-time guest arrives at your church will largely determine whether he or she will return. Before we do any music up here, before Pastor Keith preaches, before we say a prayer, before we sing a song, they've already decided, "Uh uh-uh, this ain't for me. This ain't for me. Toughest time for guests, those 10 minutes before church starts, especially if you come by yourself. Especially so. Um, A couple years back, I was on sabbatical. We went to a whole bunch of churches. One of the churches we stepped in was Big Church, big church. I knew they had great sound, great music. Um, so I came in early. It was a Saturday evening, early evening service. I, I came and sat in front of the sound booth thinking that's the best place to hear sound. Um, as I'm sitting there just by myself, um, people came and started to kind of circle around, huddle around where I was. And they started talking to each other like I was invisible, like, like, um, like I was sitting in their seats. Um, and if I was not a church person, I would have left. It felt, I felt so uncomfortable as they were loving on each other and caring for each other. Um, uh, and, and that was neat to see, but I was not part of it. They're talking old times. I'm talking no times. It was awkward and uncomfortable. Listen to me here. Churches perceive, this is from Tom Rainer again, churches perceive they're a friendly church because the members, folks who know each other, they're friendly to one another. First impressions are so stinking important. And when, when someone comes new with fresh eyes, I mean, they're looking at everything. They're looking how we act. They're looking how they're welcomed. We've got uh, sermon notes that are out by the Welcome Center. And on the back, uh, from Tom Rainer, I borrowed these top 10 reasons why folks don't come back, top 10 reasons why they come. Number one reason why folks don't come back, ask me. 
Can, can I just say, first service was so much better than you guys at this. <laughs> but why, why folks don't return? And I know we do it. And, and Pastor Keith even mentioned that we do it really well. But number one reason why folks don't come back is the meet and greet. Because it, it, it seems, a guest will look at it and say, it seems forced, it seems contrived. They're just doing it because, and, and they just shake my hand beforehand, and then they don't say anything else afterwards. And it feels forced. Um, and, and, and I believe it's true. Here's, here's statistics. Um, six out of ten members don't like it. Nine out of ten guests don't like a meet and greet time. And not, I'm not saying that we kick it out, but I'm saying we got to look at it with eyes, a visitor's eyes and outsider's eyes. Um, number two reason why people don't come back, unfriendly church members. And again, we can be really friendly to folks that we know here. You know, we, we search out the people that we know and we love on them. But there's something we call a holy huddle. People inwardly fake, uh, focused, inwardly um, focused on each other. Folks talking to folks they know without acknowledging the guests, the people that may be coming for the first time. I remember someone from church a few years back saying, sometimes I come to your church and it feels like I'm at a family reunion for somebody else. You guys are talking, again, you guys are talking old times. I'm not talking no times. I'm sitting on the edge. Um, uh, small group uh, confession. We started our small group on Wednesday night this week and had, had a great group of people, but we, we, had, we had circled up in our living room. It's kind of a tight quarters, but all, all the chairs kind of surrounded the living room. Three people, including one person that was coming for the first time, they came late. We made them sit, not, not intentionally, but we made them sit outside the ring. Um, and, and we're talking about how do we welcome people into our church. And at the end, we said, ah, we made them sit outside the ring. How often do we make folks sit outside the ring and not welcome them in? Guilty, guilty, guilty. Um, how do we do it better? How do we welcome folks better? This is, these are the top three things that Tom Rayner says. Why folks come back. Someone asked, a guest comes, someone asked me to sit with them. I mean, if I look back in my own church life, how many times have I asked somebody to sit with me? Number two, people introduced themselves to the guests. People didn't feel like it was contrived or routine. And then number three, people, members were welcoming and not pushy. Cindy, during my sabbatical, I went to another church, um, and the church was a very traditional church, but it was... I mean, we're old, but they were really, really old people there. And we, when we came in, it was like fresh meat. We're going to introduce them to the pastor, pastor's wife. We're going to invite them to lunch. I mean, I felt like, oh my gosh, is this what we do to people who come that are new to our church? Um, back to our original question. How do we welcome folks into our homes, into our lives, into our hearts, and even into our churches? How do we do it better? How do we do it even if your natural tendency is to wear t-shirts like this that say, I like fishing, and maybe three, two people. Um, how do we do it? Last couple of stories. There's one of my favorite stories from the Gospel of John. Um, John chapter 21. Uh, Peter and the boys have been fishing, and, and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is on the beach cooking them breakfast. And the boys come back from fishing, and um, after they finish breakfast, Jesus asks Peter, these things. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And it's oftentimes called the reinstatement of Peter as the leader of the early church. But if you remember, G Peter denied Jesus three times um, that he even knew Jesus as he was being crucified. 
And then they all abandoned him at the foot of the cross. And I, I imagine Peter was willing to go back to the, his old life. I like fishing. I like fishing. I can do that better. I'm not sure if I'm cut out to be this a leader of the church. But Jesus says, no, no, I have, I have a mission for you. Peter, 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 do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Here's what I want you to do. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. You know, as a pastor here for six and a half years, I, I oftentimes would run around with my hair on fire. And I was so busy doing stuff, important stuff, oftentimes. But I, I realized a week, a week ago Friday that sometimes I was doing church instead of being the church. And I, I, I believe in all my heart it is really easy to do church, to do the stuff that we're supposed to do. But to be the church is so much harder. Grant Davis invited me a week ago Friday to come on his weekly Friday morning prayer walk. 10 o'clock every Friday morning, rain or shine, um, Grant goes and walks these neighborhoods behind our church and prays for the people that he meets, prays for the homes where he's met people before, and it's just this beautiful thing. Um, but he taught me a bunch. He reminded me that it's so important not just to do church, but to be the church. First house we met, there was a woman that could barely speak English. She was hard of hearing. Um, Grant gave his standard spiel. Hey, I'm Pastor Grant. I'm from the church right there. I'm not trying to sell you anything. just want to pray for you. I do it every, every Friday morning, 10 o'clock, I, I do this prayer walk. Is there anything we can pray for you? We, I, I, we prayed for, we think, her, her husband that passed away not too long ago. Um, but it was, it was a rough one. It was like, oh my gosh, this is what Grant does. Um, we, met, we met Steve a little while later, and Grant had met Steve before. There's a little bit of a relationship, and Grant somehow remembered the cat's name. What was it, Roscoe? Um, um, Grant remembered the cat's name, and then we started, you know, going back and forth. And Grant said, "Hey, can we pray for you, Steve?" And and um, and and Steve said, "No, I'm good, but but you might want to pray for my neighbors. They're Catholics." And and. <laughs> And, and I said, I'm Catholic. I, mean, I, was, you know, I was raised Catholic. And then, and then he said, hmm. And I know he felt sorry for me. <laughs> but then we met Matt with a limp. Matt was in his early 20s. He's walking down to his car. And, and Grant you know, said, hey, hey um, Matt, can we, can we pray for you? And Grant gave him a card and said, you know, I'm part of that church. And, and Matt said, you know, um, I'm looking for a new church. Um, my girlfriend's Russian, and we've been going to a Russian Orthodox church, but I'm, but I'm, looking, I'm looking for a church. And we prayed, prayed for Matt. I'm not sure. Um, Matt may be looking for a new church. Not sure. It was not clear whether he was looking for a new girlfriend or not. That was, that was, that was unclear to us. But, but the last person we met, just as we're coming up the road right by Starbucks there in the light, we met Steve. And Grant had met Steve before. He's a carpenter. He was loading up his truck to go out to some job. And Grant gave his standard lines. And Steve, is there anything we can pray for you about? And Steve hesitated for a second. And he said, yeah, you can pray for my grandma. Grandma Alice, she fell back in March. And she broke her femur. And she's not been able to get out of bed since. And we prayed for Steve right there. And I told Grant, we went to Starbucks afterwards. And I said, Grant, that was really hard for me. All of that was hard for me. And I, man, I'm, I'm a church guy. I'm a pastor. I, I pray for a lot of people. But it was really hard for me to pray for people that I didn't know. Cold, cold, cold call praying. And Grant reminded me, you know, if we're going to be a community, 
If we're going to be a biblical community, we have to pray for, each, for, for people, and even the folks that we don't know, but especially our, our neighbors right here. And Grant, I just thank you. You want to, you want to go for an, hour of, um, an hour of challenge, go with Grant. He does all the hard stuff. You just have to stand back there. And all I did the whole time was stand back there, and Grant wouldn't introduce me as, you know, he's there. He's here to support me. He didn't introduce me as anybody important, and I'm not. Um, but it was really cool what Grant reminded me of. Last story about how, how well do we really welcome people into our lives, our, our homes, our hearts, and our church. Um, Katie's a freshman up at CSU. Um, I know Katie because Katie is the daughter of one of my wife's friends. Uh, she works with her mom. Um, Katie, uh, brand new up at CSU, big, big school. If you guys remember, if you guys went to college, how overwhelming those first days and weeks can be. Someone invited Katie to a Young Life meeting, a dinner, and Katie's just looking for connection, looking for someone she can be a friend with. Katie goes to the Young Life dinner, and she sits down and tries to engage with the people, but they all know each other. They've all been a part of Young Life before, and they're talking old times. Katie's talking no times. And there was a break in dinner, and Katie just got up quietly and walked away. Have you ever been there where you felt just, there's just no connection at all? Katie, second Katie story, last story. Um, Katie has a roommate that's a sophomore. Um, she didn't pick the roommate. They did sort of the lottery and they, they are roommates. And Katie has struggled. Katie is this vibrant, alive, beautiful young gal. Um, but her roommate is kind of dark. Um, she's tried to sort of engage with her, invite her to go to dinner with her. And she's just really tight, close to the vest, doesn't want to open up at all. Um, a week ago, Saturday night, um, while every, most college kids are doing what college kids do on a Saturday night, Katie and her roommate are in their room. And they have this sort of... Uh, this uh, thing that they, they do, roommate takes showers in the morning, Katie takes showers at night right before they go to bed. Saturday night, um, they, they do their routine, um, they say goodnight, turn out the lights. Katie's in bed and she hears her roommate sniffling. And then a little while later, she gets up and goes into the bathroom and that's not the roommate's routine. Once she's down, she's usually down. Um, but she goes into the bathroom and, and Katie hears noise and it's not somebody throwing up, it's what she thinks is somebody sobbing. She's in there for like for 45 minutes. And then the roommate comes out, goes back to bed, and Katie asks, hey, are, are you okay? Are you okay? Do you need some Kleenex? My mom has, has given me enough Kleenex like to fight the next pandemic. Can I, can, I give you, can I give you a Kleenex? And she gets up out of bed, sits on the bedside, puts her hand on her back, and gives her a Kleenex. And then the floodgates open. And the roommate's heart opens. And the roommate shares that, I am not good at this. I am miserable here. I don't know how to talk to people. I, I am introverted. I, I you know, I, if, if, if she had a shirt, she would have a shirt like this. Um, but she, she struggles. I'm really shy, and I am just miserable here. Last year, I had a roommate that was horrible, and you were much better than that, but I still don't know how to talk to people. And Katie says, you know, my sister, my older sister is just like you. I know, I know a little bit about what you're going through. Let me help you. And Katie's been going to dinner with four computer nerds. Katie's not a nerd, but she's, she's in computer science and coding. And she says, hey, hey, come with us to dinner. I've got, there's four freshmen from our floor. 
They're nerdier than all get out. Um, but, but come, we, we sit at dinner. At, at, at 5.30, we go to dinner together. And there's an extra seat. In fact, we were just talking about it um, the other day. We have an extra seat. We need to invite one more person there. And, and you need to be that person. And, and the roommate says, uh, you know what? I, I'm, I'm in band, and band practice doesn't get out until 6. And Katie says, we will wait. We'll wait and hang out for you. You come. There's an extra seat at our table. There's an extra seat at our table. I think if we're going to really learn how to do church and how to welcome people well into our lives, into our hearts, into our homes, into our churches even, we have to do what Katie did. We have to be persistent. We have to stay steady. We have to ask about the stories and invite them in. Let me, let me pray us out. Um, Heavenly Father, I shared a bunch of stories, way, probably way too many stories. I, I know we still have time for the Bronco game, but um, Lord, just, um, Lord, just be with us. Be with us as we welcome folks into our lives, as we welcome folks from the porch to the patio. Lord, help us to be real. Lord, help us to be curious. Help us to be loving. Help us to be Katie-like in our interactions with people. I pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.